what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Welcome to the Caregiver Community. This is an educational forum for family caregivers where we hold monthly conversations about the challenges as well as the joys of caring for our aging parents and caring for ourselves. My name is Jane Everson and my co-host is Frances Hall. How are you doing today, Frances? I'm great. Thank Glad you. Glad to hear that. Frances and I began the caregiver community because we are two of an estimated 10 million adult child caregivers in the United States, people just like our listeners who are caring for our aging parents, but also caring for ourselves. Today we're talking about a topic that impacts many adult children of aging parents, myself included. Those of you who've been listening to this podcast know that my mother lives 401 miles door-to-door from (laughs) my house. Today we're going to be talking about caregiving from a geographical distance. We are very fortunate to have two guests with us today, Nancy Ruffner, who is the president and a professional advocate with Navigate North Carolina, and Sharon Kilpatrick, who is a geriatric care manager with Kilpatrick Care Management. We're going to be learning a lot more about what those job titles mean and what they do as we go through the presentation. Thank you for joining us today, Nancy and Sharon, and thank you for helping us understand more about this very important topic that impacts people who are aging, but especially impacts their adult child and other family caregivers. Let's begin with just sort of some basic understanding about caregiving at a distance. Why is it such a common challenge for so many adult children of aging parents today? Um, Because I think, like everything, that the nuclear family has exploded to become worldwide. So you have um, adult children living all around the world and certainly all over the United States, and their parents may be at home where they started out, or they may have relocated to a retirement area themselves, and they may not have a lot of local support. And as they get older, and we know our demographics are aging, and so people are living a lot longer and having a lot more um, situations that require assistance. So I think it's just become a lot more challenging. Mm -hmm. So the real bottom line is families that we used to at least think of living geographically in the same neighborhood, maybe next door in the same town, that's just not true anymore. Correct. And and a lot of people don't even really, you know, their friends may have moved or passed away. So there aren't even people that really know them. And so a lot of the informal networks that we used to see a lot, churches, next door neighbors checking on individuals isn't happening today. Mm -hmm. We just live in a more mobile society, don't we? One of the the concepts we hear talked about a lot in um, the caregiver community is aging in place. What does that mean? Well, aging in place is a a, a good title for the the phenomenon of folks that make the decision to um, remain in their homes, uh, that they don't care to move. They're in a familiar environment, and it does take a certain amount of scrutiny or a revisit to the home to make sure that that the home is serving you. Mm-hmm. Uh, that the home is the right tool, the right environment for you to uh, to age successfully, socially, medically, um, and and to, to be safety becomes the top concern. Mm-hmm. So right. really, kind of simply, somebody wanting to stay in their home but changing the services and the supports and the environment around them, as opposed to taking them out and putting them in a different place. Precisely. Yeah. Sharon, you are a geriatric care manager. Correct. 
talk a little about that. What is the training that geriatric care managers have, and what exactly does a geriatric care manager do? Um, Well, geriatric care managers as a profession have been around probably 35-plus years, and it really kind of grew out of the social work and RN um, in healthcare, um, and has become professionalized over the years. We have a national association. So most individuals come from either a healthcare or clinical counseling social work background. Um, and in order to be recognized as a national um, certified um, geriatric care manager, um, it's a combination of years of experience as well as educational degrees and that sort of thing. And we do have um, a vetting process to to become part of that and ongoing um, continuing education services. But you're saying that most are coming out of health care, but, but not necessarily? Not necessarily all. We're seeing uh, probably in the last decade more individuals coming out of, you know, maybe informal situations in communities. So maybe home care settings or long-term care facilities. Mm-hmm. But traditionally, I think a lot of our backgrounds, and mine included, started in the healthcare care hospital setting. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so you know we've talked about the um, that that adult child caregivers might be some distance away from a parent. So how would an adult child living in a different community, perhaps even a different state or country, find a geriatric care manager? Well, the first step is is our friend, the internet, and uh, uh, Google yeah. searches to be branded. Um, and as I say, we do have a, a, a national. Um, website, um, Professional Geriatric Care Managers, so you can search by zip code, so you would put in the zip code for where the elder was located and find them in that way. Um, And then also just using local resources in the the family member's community, so the area agencies on aging are a great resource as well. Gotcha. Yeah. What about the services themselves? How are they typically paid for, and what might a geriatric care manager actually do for a family? Um, well, the payment source is, is generally private pay. Um, some long-term care insurance policies um, will pay for assessments. They don't generally pay for ongoing services. Um, and some employee assistance programs. So the adult children may work for um, a company that will provide a geriatric care assessment um, as a benefit to them. So they should always explore that. So insurance options and private pay. And the geriatric care manager can do everything from basically a pretty comprehensive assessment So, again, coming out of that case management background, whether it's an RN or a social worker. So they go in, they they talk with the individual, they usually talk with the extended family, and that may be telephonically, um, do an assessment of where they're currently living, um, review their finances, and give give the family and the individual a written report. Um, and that can be submitted electronically for those at a distance um, with the options. So it's, it's kind of a plan A, B, C, and D usually of is it really possible to age in place in the home financially, physically, or is there going to be at some point some need to, to relocate? And that can be relocating within their community, but a relocation. And then often the geriatric care managers offer ongoing services so that they might 
um, you know, supervise them um, finding home care services or supervise a move, um, help hire movers, hire other professionals to help, go to doctor's appointments, um, keep the family informed. So it can be as simple as just weekly or biweekly visits to that individual to see how they're doing and then keeping all the family informed, and that can be, you know, telephonically or email. Um, so the services are really determined by the client and the family. So it can be just a one-time snapshot picture with some recommendations of what a best-case scenario could be, um, or it can be an ongoing relationship that may, may last until the person passes away. So individualized, family to family, but sort of like having your own set of eyes and ears right there on, on site. Correct. You're, you're paying for a professional that is engaged with you and wanting your best wishes. We hear a lot these days in the news about people um, remaining in control and making their best choices while they can make those best choices. And this person is just kind of a professional friend that walks with you in that process and makes sure that if you become physically or mentally incapacitated, those wishes that you wanted will continue to happen until the end of your life. Good to know. Good service. And Nancy, you're a professional advocate. What exactly is a professional advocate, and how is that similar and different from a geriatric care manager? That's a question I'm often asked, and I'm happy to say that there is a lot of overlap. Uh, Professional advocacy is an emerging profession um, born out of the difficulty to navigate the health care maze and to navigate the challenges that come with aging. Geriatric care uh, itself brings up the notion that a person, the client may be of a certain age, whereas professional advocacy may, um, may entail serving seniors, as my agency has selected to do. But they also uh, may serve disease-specific persons, persons with disabilities. Um, you know, it's not, it's not limited. It's probably uh, just broader in scope. Our service delivery is, is a lot alike. It's intake, assessment, research, referral, and solution. Uh, and the folks that uh, are p- professional advocates have a number of monikers. Educationally, we're a lot of people. Just like geriatric care managers, we are, are a lot of social workers, counselors, RNs, attorneys, family nurse practitioners, a lot of people bringing a lot of things into the, uh, into the profession. You know, the commonality between geriatric care managers and advocacy continues in that we work in direct service to the family, to the client and their family. Uh, advocates will not work for insurance, medical groups, hospitals. We work only for the family. And for that reason, we are private pay. Um, and and um, there's a, a lot of discussion about uh, follow the money trail, follow the money trail to find your allegiance to the family. And so um, by being private pay, uh, that seals that allegiance to work only for the family. Hmm. Makes sense. Okay. And if I were interested in finding a professional advocate, how would I go about finding the services? 
There are a couple of well-known uh, national organizations that have national directories. Uh, the Alliance of Professional Healthcare Advocates is one um, that uh, um, people find me that way, uh, and also um, one called NAHAC, which is the National Association of Healthcare Advocacy Consultants, um, and both of whom have strong directories. I work a lot on my um, presence on the Internet and making sure that I am reaching and reachable um, by virtue of um, having written, being active in my community, um, again, the national directories, um, authoring a a book, uh, any way that we can to be picked up and noticed by folks. Because as an emerging profession and with the need... Uh, growing, uh, we need to be found, and people right. need to find us. Right. So it sounds like for both professions, just getting on the internet and googling and looking in your parents or family members' home community for people who have your credentials and backgrounds would be a big help. And I think that you can't underemphasize just contacting that local area agency mm-hmm. on aging is a great Good place reminder. to start. Um, because they are the most familiar and they can uh, can have a pretty good idea of who's active and who's really working. And there would be an area agency on aging that would cover every area in our country, right? Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, good Good to know. For, for either of you, uh, what are some of the more typical challenges that confront aging parents and caregivers when family members live a distance away? For me, the families express, um, I can't see, I can't tell what's going on, is this really true, based on what's going on with our client cognitively, uh, uh, they can't validate. Um, they don't have often the, the communication skills to, to address even conversations differently on the phone, or they don't know how to begin the conversation. That's always a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, having the local eyes and ears, as was mentioned, um, we are that for so many people. Because they can't tell what's going on. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you said that. I think that's really important. I, I talk with my mother on the phone every day, but that's very different from when I visit her every six weeks and actually can see what's going on <laughs> with her and with the house and so forth. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing is, it's, to me, it's analogous of dealing with teenagers. So um, your, your family member is always going to tell you that they're fine because they generally don't want to worry you, and they really don't want you in their business. So talking to them or even, you know, having a neighbor look, you know, they're not necessarily, if things are going on inside the house, they're not going to let the person in um, because they don't have to. And they're always going to put on their best show when they go out. So if they're going to church or they're going to their regular meeting that they've always attended, that day they're going to look their very, very best. So it's usually, unfortunately, only when things have really deteriorated that, long-distance caregivers find out because at that point it's really significantly altered. So, um, yes, I think that's the important part is that you're paying somebody and that person can be a little bit more assertive than their friend or their next-door neighbor who doesn't really want to get on their wrong side. Mm -hmm. 
Good, and maybe to take the the fear out of our parents to even address this as an assessment, just to check in to make sure that everything is going okay, because it doesn't always mean that because somebody's coming in, you're going to be removed from your house and things are really going to change. It could be a validation that, yes, your parent is correct and things really are going well, but maybe just a few minor tweaks to make the services work better. Boy, that's a really valid point. And, you know, this whole thing of being able to see them when my mother lived seven hours away from me and I would see her once a month, that was vastly different than now that she has moved near me and I see her almost on a daily basis. And this whole thing of, you know, how how do you really know what is true, truly going on? Yeah, that that's a really good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Talk a little, again, both of you or each of you, um, are there some signs that we should be looking for when we make, when we actually do go visit mom and dad? And are there some strategies we can put in place from afar? Well, I think the biggest thing is that, again, if you're visiting, um, they usually know ahead of time that you're coming. um, So that, again, if they have the capabilities at that point, they're really putting the best. And again, Everybody can do well for short periods of time. So what you're seeing is just a snapshot. So often um, long-distance caregivers say, well, I was home for a week this summer and everything was fine. I don't understand that, you know, six weeks later you're telling me that it's deteriorated to this point. And so there's a lot of denial on the part of the caregiver, too, because they were just there and saw Mm -hmm. this. Well, again, mom knew you were coming and, you know, she really had put on her very best for you Um, and then afterwards she sort of collapsed Mm -hmm. Um, so I think it's really important to um, recognize that what you're seeing is the very best um, and really try to have conversations with people that are seeing them on a daily basis so whether that's their hairdresser that they go to every week or whether it's their church member or their next door neighbor or whoever that may be, try to have a conversation with them, with, with the mom not present, to kind of see what they're thinking. Um, look at, you know, what's going on in the refrigerator. Look what's going on in the bathroom. Um, are there rooms that they don't want you to go in? You know, when you come home, are the doors closed? And she says, oh, you know, that's my messy room. You can't go in there. Um, those sorts of things. Take a look at, if they're still driving, take a look at the car. Are there any scratches or dings? Um, Are there bangs in the garage that look like she kind of missed a little bit? Um, So there's a lot of little subtle things that, again, we don't always want to see as adult children either. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, To that, I would add, um, while you're there, I generally will will do a pretty thorough once around on the inside and the outside of the house. Again, looking for things like um, maybe there's a pile of bill unpaid bills. Uh, I'm looking in the refrigerator. I'm looking in the medicine cabinet. Um, I'm again. I look at the car as well, but I also want to see if there are uh, some things that are around the house that will be hard to keep up. Um, it, you know, like your lawn care, for instance. There's a conversation starter. And I'm coaching a lot on how to start those conversations um, about just upkeep of the home. Uh, You're looking for, um, 
changes in their in their physical appearance. Maybe things aren't as clean as right. they used to be. And it's it's the change that, that you will see. If you're not there frequently, you will notice that change. Um, but in tandem with that, we always feel that we need uh, the, the eyes and ears locally, the local check-ins. Um, now, when the, the, the adult child is maybe calling on the phone, um, there are certain ways to, to, I call it going fishing. Uh, and you will be asking folks, you're going to notice if they, are they responding to the questions? Are they asking any questions? Is there any innovating still going on? Um, or has that diminished? So sometimes it's just as important as what's not being said as, mm-hmm. as is what's Good being point. said. Yeah. And if you're trying to get a read on maybe their social interaction, then you can blame it on the weather. What with this weather we've had, have you gotten out to church? Has that Was it hard to get to the grocery store during that ice storm? See what they're doing. See if they're innovating, accommodating, if they're um, uh, willing to ask for any assistance from the church, from the neighbor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, again, looking for a change. But um, I do a fair amount of coaching folks on, on how to go fishing. Hmm. Good suggestion. Yeah, that's really good to know because a lot of times people, you know, adult child caregivers or adult children may have a notion that there's something going on, but how do you open that up? How do you get that information? Mm -hmm. So that's really, really important. And good advice to ask the questions and really listen to the answers instead of jumping in with advice and directions and... (laughs) And sometimes a little harder to do that. Uh, Much harder. Much harder. Mm -hmm. Right. Local authors, illustrators, and storytellers come together to create Storytime Station at The Mesh. Storytime Station is a video podcast that works as a virtual storybook. Each show features a new children's book and new reader. So gather the whole family to listen, learn, and laugh at Storytime Station on TheMesh.tv. You all have given some great information. Talk a little about some typical scenarios from identifying problems to working with parents and their adult children to resolve them. Well, I think a good example that I've recently had is um, getting um, an individual. um, She lives alone. She's in her mid-70s. Six adult children, all pretty much in the same geographic area. Um, She was still driving. Um, she had a, a small fall and went for some outpatient rehab, and the family just decided to hire a home care agency to assist with getting her to all of those rehab appointments. And in in that process, um, found out that things were a lot worse than they thought. And again, family would periodically be popping in, but they're working, they're busy. Um, and on the face of things in the house, everything looked great, but bottom line is we've now discovered that um, she's incontinent, was having lots of accidents, had lots of problems, wasn't really taking her medications correctly. So that's probably um, urinary tract infections and improper medication are huge ways that contribute to falls. So we think now we've we've unearthed the real issue for the fall. Um, and that really um, lots of things that mom did, like going and playing bridge, and all of those things had fallen by the wayside, and none of their of the children were aware of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, just getting more support into the home has been a big piece of it now. Um, she was extremely anxious, and now she's really um, 
bonded with the home care aid that's coming in, um, and they're now finding time to go out and do some fun things besides just doctor's appointments and therapy, um, getting the home safe, and that's involved a whole variety of things, including a new refrigerator, Mm -hmm. because we found out that that wasn't working correctly. So potentially she could have been making herself sick with bad food. So it was just an the children, the guilt of six children that thought everything was going great. And just working through that with them and having a separate um, meeting um, around a dining room table recently and just talking about, okay, now what's the long-range plan? So we've solved some of the immediate problems and gotten her back to a much better place right now. But what do we need to do? And that includes applying for some benefits for her. She's eligible for some VA services through her deceased husband. Um, And just kind of saying to the children, well, we've kind of saved it this time, but what's going to happen when the next situation happens? Um, And is it practical for her to stay in this home? And it may not be because it's not physically accommodating to somebody that's got some potentially significant physical restraints um, to where would she like to go and how do we broach that conversation and obviously with six adult children and spouses there's a whole variety of opinions so we meet separately from her first and get all of those options out and have everybody talk um, and then we can present a more cohesive plan to her with options for her, but realistic options so that she's not overwhelmed with 12 options Mm -hmm. Um, and, and a time frame, which is reasonable for her to make those decisions. So not doing it in a crisis mode, because I think too many times because of being faint hearted about having the conversation we wait until you're at the hospital emergency room and everybody's screaming, what are we going to do now, Um, including mom. So having these discussions and saying, you don't need to move this year maybe, but what is the plan and what can we do to make that very comfortable for everybody involved? And boy, that's really important to not wait till the crisis occurs to get some conversation and to get some planning going. That that helps in, on so many levels. Yeah, your your examples really resonate with me, so I know they will with many of our other listeners. Just the idea of getting the conversation started, but really recognizing that an impartial third party person can sometimes really mediate and navigate those conversations mm-hmm. far better than a child or a child and siblings and spouses who, as you said, all have different ideas on how to proceed. And emotions about it. And emotions, <laughs> of yes. Course. Mm-hmm. And bringing old information and old events into the present. Exactly. <laughs> as exactly. siblings are wont to do. Sharon um, touched on two things that are really important, and that's one of uh, our roles as uh, geriatric care managers and advocates are um, to allow the family to be family. It's an important time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's. A, uh, I can't tell you how many folks tell me that I don't know when it happened, but all of our, our conversations among our siblings now are about care. We don't talk about anything else except mm-hmm. for care. And it's, you know, if that's going on with the siblings, it's also going on, you know, with your parent. And it's time for family to be family so often. So that's really important. Another thing I hear a lot are uh, the siblings wondering, what can we do? You know, Bob's right there in town. Bob can take care of this. And the other siblings are going, I don't know what I can do or I don't care to participate. 
because everybody has a drunk uncle in Phoenix that nobody wants to talk about, too. Um, But I would say that to that family, there are a lot of things that the siblings can do. And one of the things that we coach about is let's figure out let's how we can use your strengths uh, to participate to this family need. Um, my uh, one scenario that comes to mind is, yes, there was a son here who was first line of defense, but there was also a sibling in California and a sibling in New Jersey. Well, one of them uh, had banking experience, so who better to use that skill to take over the financial management uh, and planning and to bring that up and who was already positioned as an authority within the family unit to do that. Uh, The other one in California had some technology skills, and she brought to the picture a um, uh, uh, introducing some care management apps and tools and things so that they could coordinate and communicate in their own private way about about dad's care and everybody knew who was doing what and when uh, and so you know utilizing tools uh, also utilizing some technology in the home some of the new sensor-based um, uh, equipment that uh, <coughs> that allows you to know that dad's up and around and moving this morning and everything's okay and I don't have to call dad at 7.30 every day. And dad has doesn't have to get the phone call at 7.30 every day. And so if, if we just channel the conversation and, and use people's different skills, everyone, no matter where they're located geographically, can contribute to this, this family unit and its needs. Mm. You, you said um, something that I think really is important and maybe bears attending to a bit more because I I imagine having this kind of conversation with my mother and the first thing she would say oh was the cost you know how much it was would cost to do this when I could do this or my brother could do this and I think your comment about it's so important to spend time with your family as a family and for example for my mother and I to spend time as mother and daughter not as caregiver and parent that that extra cost may be well worth freeing up the time for us to enjoy the family time that we have together yes and the other thing I'm hearing also is really drawing on the expertise of people in the family that possibly we really hadn't put together that, you know, like the banker and the technologist and, and those kinds of things that, that we know that those people have that kind of expertise. But how do you really bring that together? And that's, you know, the objective third par- person, objective third party sometimes can do that much more effectively than we as adult children can do because we get into our own stuff, our own histories, our own emotions, our own dynamics. Sure. Determining how that fits into the plan as opposed to just saying to your brother, well, you need to do this because you're the accountant. (laughs) Right. Right. Not that I've ever been guilty of that, but. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I think just remembering that this is all, you know, a transition process and that what we want to be left with is positive memories you don't want to be left with memories right. of, you know, doing personal care and you weren't really comfortable with that mm-hmm. and feeling inadequate about it or thinking that you weren't there sometime when you should have yeah, been feeling there. feeling guilty because you didn't do something. Right. And then mm-hmm. leaving the, the family that remains after the passing of someone in that they, there is a family relationship because, unfortunately, too many times in these stressful situations, everybody pulls together and gets through that caregiving process, whether it lasts years or a month, and then everybody kind of just says, I can't see you anymore. Um, and so having that professional involved 
the professional kind of takes the brunt of all of that and leaves the family members so that they can have a really good relationship post-caregiving. That's another really excellent um, yeah, point. Yes, because other, otherwise there's a, sometimes a lot of hard feelings around mm-hmm. you know, what you yeah. could have done, what you Because you pull together do. and you don't share those hard feelings when you're in the middle of it. It's later. Right. Yeah. right. And, and having to you know, have those tough conversations. So sometimes the person that has the tough conversation is left feeling very guilty. Mm-hmm. And so it's just that neutral third party is they don't they're not coming to any family reunions later um and they're moving on professionally and the family can then carry on with just hopefully really positive memories that they did what they needed to do and the care was provided mm-hmm. and they can have a really good family experience so again really those non those non-monetary costs that um, can be sidestepped if we perhaps put money in from the beginning to really get things organized and planned and, and taken care of comprehensively. Really. Well, and, and I think the one thing that we all know from just kind of our life events that when you don't know something, it can cost you a lot of money. And so sometimes we pay for things and then we have to buy something else. And, and I use the analysis of, of taking care of your own home, you know, and the do-it-yourself project and you're going to save $100. And by the time you're finished with the do-it-yourself mm-hmm. project, you've spent $1,000. And you still have to bring in a professional. And you still hire the <laughs> professional. Um, and, I, and I use that yeah. with, with care giving as well because you think you know and so you start down one path and maybe you put deposits down at facilities that are non-refundable or you contract with a home care agency and they have a deposit and pretty soon you've spent you know several thousand dollars and you still don't have the right care in place and then you hire that professional which probably didn't cost that much and So I I just say sometimes it's really kind of working smart. Um, And unless you really are positive 100%, then a relatively small fee is is worth the cost of uh, determining how many thousands of dollars you're going to need. And and I say that because I've seen people put literally $25,000 in a home to remodel it and renovate it. Um, and then they move out the next month. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking, well, that $25,000 could have been used for, you know, six months of care. Right, so. right, yeah. And I'm also thinking the scenario of there are several siblings, but one is really the primary caregiver and how isolating that can be for the one who is the point person, but also how divisive that can be for all of those siblings. So, yeah, that that whole thing of what, you know, this is really an investment in the future, not only of our loved one, but also in our own individual futures and our future as a family. And a lot of times you can really talk to a parent about that because who better knows the family dynamics mm-hmm. than, than mom or dad? And right. especially if they're still pretty cognitively with it, they know how that's going to play out. Right. And so you can often say, you know, mom, I just really don't want to do that. Let's bring in somebody else. And often that's really the selling point. Not that they need the assistance, but that they're once again going to be the peacemaker among the siblings. Um, And most parents will want to do that Mm -hmm. just to avoid any more sibling rivalry. Yeah, good advice. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
Nancy, Sharon, this has been great. Lots of really good information and resources. Any final words of wisdom that you would like to make sure our listeners take away from this podcast? My final words um, of advice to a listener who may be caring for their aging parent would be to assemble your team. Uh, Lead person on the team, quite logically, is an advocate or a geriatric care manager because we bring with us the rest of the team, the professionals, the local knowledge. If you're in California and your elder is in North Carolina, then you need some local boots on the ground that can bring in the right players uh, to to take care of your family. So uh, um, get savvy, hire somebody who brings with them a bigger radar screen, someone who, uh, who will have their uh, antenna up on your behalf, who will work directly for your family and have the bigger picture. Good. Please, please, please just have the conversation. I don't <laughs> care whether you hire somebody. I don't care. Just please have the conversation when you're able to have the conversation so that um, your loved one can express what their real wishes are because it's amazing to just find out that sometimes what somebody thought was their wishes really wasn't when you bothered to ask and listen um, and and have that conversation and and get it down um, either legally or at least so that everybody is on the same page so that when that crisis happens and none of us know when that could happen, we really know and we're really acting in that person's best interest of what they would have done if they could have. And, you know, that's that's really good advice, not only for caregiving from a distance, but if they're up close and personal, if they're in the same community, even in your own home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Having the conversation before there's a crisis and assembling the team to help you through the crisis. Really, really good advice. Mm-hmm. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Caregiver Community. Francis and I hope you've enjoyed this presentation, and more importantly, we hope you've learned something today about caregiving from a distance. This program is part of the MESH network of online shows and podcasts. You may learn more about the MESH and check out the other programs available for free at www.themesh.tv. On that site, you may also send Francis and I a question or a recommendation for future show topics using the Contact Us button. We also encourage you to find us on Apple iTunes, where you may subscribe to our show and then make sure that you receive all future episodes automatically. You'll find a link to the Mesh website on our ACAP community website as well. Francis, can you tell us a little bit more about where people can go to find information on ACAP community? Absolutely. You can find more about ACAP Community at www.acapcommunity.org, and that is A-C-A-P Community, like Adult Children of Aging Parents Community, so www.acapcommunity.org, or you can call us at 877-599-ACAP, or that's 877-599-2227, or you can email us at info at acapcommunity.org. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. 
Check us out online at TheMesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.